is What Shall We Do About with Sam Robinson. Hello and welcome to What Shall We Do About, the show that tries to improve the world's less pressing problems. How good is honey? The sweet taste on toast in the morning with that little kick of sugar to get you moving. We can often see its maker, the bee, as a nuisance, something that stings and buzzes rather than provides. Well, sadly, bee populations around the world are in steady decline due to a number of factors, and this is a real problem, not just for honey lovers, but the entire population of the world. It has been said recently, in a David Attenborough documentary no less, that if bees were to disappear from the face of the earth, humans would only have four years left to live. It's a scary thought, isn't it? So, what shall we do about bees? There was only one person who I could call to discuss, TV host Joanna Griggs from Seven's Better Homes and Gardens. She's really into bees, like really into them. Joanna Griggs, thanks for jumping on the podcast. You're so welcome, Sam. I know you're such a busy person. I mean, you're you're on TV all the time, Better Homes and Gardens. You were going to do the Olympics coverage, but that's not happening anymore this year. Not this year. The Olympics and Paralympics have been postponed 12 months. And to be perfectly honest, uh, even though I'm sure it's you know absolutely devastating for the people of Japan and uh, will have consequences for them there and also for the athletes who, you know, many of them, it's not just four years that they focus on the Olympics and Paralympics. For a lot of them, it's their, you know, their lifetime dream. But at least they haven't been cancelled, which was a, a genuine concern for a while. They've mm. just been postponed. So it gives them a chance to sort of reset themselves. And I, I loved so many of the athletes the day after the announcement was made with the new dates just were putting up posts on social media you're going, you know, okay, here we go, 490 days and 524 days to go, new goals are set and that's what we're working towards. And I thought it just, you know, I think at the moment we're all looking for um, stories of inspiration and resilience and uh, and they certainly have shown that in spades. And for us, gosh, I get an extra 12 months to prepare. So to be honest, it's a, it's fantastic. <laughs> that's so good. It's just, I, I feel like next year is going to be such a good year. I mean, I know that this virus is still well from over and the yep. pandemic threat, but to think that all these things that could have happened this year will get held over to next year. It's going to be an exciting 2021. Look, it'll be a jam-packed 2021, but I also think it's it's forced everyone to to kind of reset. I think we our lives were so crazy and so busy and, you know, no one could wait five minutes for anything. And all of a sudden we've realised if there is an upside of, of what's gone on, uh, not to take for granted the things that, that, that you really value. So those personal relationships that you have, your family, you know, you, I don't think any of us will ever um, ever resent even for half a second and um, aunt or an uncle give you a great big sloppy kiss and a hug, I think. No. I think it's made us simplify a lot of the things and, and you know, we're certainly seeing a trend in people wanting to grow their own veggies and, and you know, make more things themselves. And we've been seeing that for a while, but I think if anything, it's really solidified that thought of just going back to basics a little bit and mm. that, that if there is a positive, that, that might be the thing that comes out of it. And that kind of, I guess, gets to what we're talking about today because if people saw the, the title for this podcast and they know you and they know you from TV and maybe even your swimming career, they might not realise that you are really into bees. <laughs> that I'm a crazy bee lady. Yes, You're a crazy correct. bee lady. How, how do you get into beekeeping? Well, I mean, all those things I was talking about, um, that's wanting to simplify your life. I think uh, I've been doing that for um, a number of years with you know my husband and I where 
we are very fortunate we have a, a property in the lower Hunter Valley and uh, you know, we're focused on our cows and our dogs and we have an amazing veggie patch that um, you know, we sort of took about four years to set up and uh, you know, the goal to be completely you know, as self-sufficient as we can be and growing all of our vegetables so that when our kids and our grandkids come up, they can go to a veggie patch and, and you know, pick fresh produce and understand where it comes from because it always frightens me how many people – you know, you see kids and they think blueberries come out of a plastic container and that just mortifies me. Mm. Um, and so the passion for gardening, which I've always had, but has definitely um, become even more so with, with the veggie patch I've put in these amazing wicking beds and they water from the ground up and it's all been through trial and error. I, I you know, obviously have learned a lot over the years with better homes, but um, when you're actually growing your own produce, it is really trial and error in the, in, in you know, whatever location that you're in. Um where we are, we have massive frosts in, in winter and, and lots of days over 40 degrees in summer. So you've kind of got to be prepared for everything. Yeah. And the more that I've been reading, the more I was realising the importance of the role that bees played. And, you know, you know that they pollinate 35% of all of Australia's food sources. And uh, I decided that for my vegetable patch that what I really wanted to do was um, was – was have bees and see if that made a huge difference. Now, um, I have a dear friend who has a property five minutes away from me, one of my best friends, Chris Bath, and so I signed her and I up to a bee course and she was just like, what are we doing? You know, we both have the veggie patches. We both spend our life just, you know, swapping produce and talking about what we, we could dream to do on that front one day. Um, and we signed her up for this course and I remember on the morning that we were heading to it, she was she was ringing me. She was coming back from the property and she's saying, I can't believe you signed me up to talk about bees for eight hours. I mean, what on earth are we going to talk about? And, you know, I'm leaving my favourite place on the earth. And so we were, she was just ripping into me. Anyhow, we sat in the bee course and I must admit, I was kind of going, oh, I wonder how they are going to fill out two whole days talking about bees. We got to five o'clock of the first day. We had filled out three notebooks on, on information on bees. We'd asked a million questions. We'd only stopped to have sandwich. There were a whole lot of other people in the same boat, so we were swapping stories and, and asking, you know, getting more information off each other. And at five o'clock we looked at each other and we just said to the instructor, what do you mean we have to go home? You know, why, why can't we do the second day tomorrow? Why do we have to wait a whole week? And it just uh, ignited um, a huge passion for beekeeping but also just a, a huge respect for the insects that they are. I mean, they are the only insects that produce something that humans eat. And, uh, you know, the more that you learn about them, there is you know, a tenfold, a millionfold more that you can learn about them. And they're just absolutely fascinating creatures. And I think both of us have become completely and utterly obsessed. Um, we love our bees. We talk about our bees. We check on them the whole time. You're always looking at them. You have to respect that there there is a lot of policing in the fact you have to make sure that you're disease-free and you have to know what to look out for. But I think uh, they're just this little gift that keeps on giving because even though you get so much enjoyment just out of the insects, you also get this incredible produce of honey at the end. And when you have honey straight from a hive, it tastes so different to what you buy in the shops. It is so pure and so beautiful and it changes with the seasons and uh, it's something that you can share with your family and friends. So really born out of an idea of wanting to improve my vegetable garden, which has happened, mm. has actually flowed into this whole other, um, you know, amazing little world that's opened up that's just endless joy. That's so cool, Joe. Uh, can you take us into what it, what you need to become a beekeeper? 
So the first thing I would definitely say if anyone was interested is to either um, do a course or we bought our hives through Flow Hive and they now offer courses online that you can do because you actually do need to register with the Department of Primary Industries. Mm-hmm. So they need to know um, how many hives you've got. They need to make sure that you're checking for disease and you need to know all those things because that's something you don't think of. You, you, you just think, you know, bees just obviously can go out there in the wild and create their own hives, but we don't understand that they're actually policing for all that stuff. But when you're actually starting to put hives in your you do need to know what to look out for but it's as basic as having um, a hive which starts off with a brood box and the brood box is where you um, the, the, the hives that we have which are flow hives you have um, six to eight frames in your in your base box uh, they're basically you can either start just with um, a, a timber frame or you can start with a, a beeswax lining and you need to have your bees. So you start off with your brood box and you start off with your bees. Now your bees you um, can source, you can either catch them in a swarm, which I'd recommend that you, you do a bit of beekeeping before you start doing things like that. <laughs> I bet. Um, and you can go to a local beekeeping club. They can provide you in, in swarm season. They can provide you with bees that way. Or you can actually find there's a lot of uh, people that actually just supply bees. So they supply queen bees and they supply bees. So I um, purchased from our uh, beekeeping club, um, uh, we, we bought two bee boxes. And they're these two boxes that have like mesh on either side. They have about 10,000 bees inside of them. It is the most surreal thing. You just have to water down the side of it. So that's how they get their water. Um, and inside that, there's this tiny little plastic pack which has the queen bee and about five little worker bees with her. And she's sealed in uh, in that little container with almost – it's like candy um, because bees will be drawn to, to sugar. So when you actually get your bee box, you take it to your brood box, which you've set up, and you have to consider – you know, the light and wind and all these different factors of where you actually want to place your hive. And when you, you know, you don't want it to be too covered with trees. You want to have good access to obviously, um, you know, a lot of plants and flowers and shrubs that, that will be flowering. You want to have a water source that's close, but not too close. So once you've actually worked out where you put your hive, you basically put this little queen pack inside of it. And within about three days, the bees will have chewed through that and the queen goes, right, here we are, I'm in my new home and I'm ready to lay eggs. So wow. the, the thing you need to remember with bees, you, all your worker bees and the queen bees are female um, and they pretty much do absolutely everything. The only other bee that you have in your hive are drone bees and they're the male bees. They basically have two jobs. One job is uh, when the queen bee is establishing herself, she'll fly away somewhere. Usually it would be, you wouldn't even be aware of it, it'd be over like a sports field. And those drone bees impregnate the queen bees with enough, um, you know, sperm to last her a lifetime. So she will then go back to her hive and she will actually lay between, you know, uh, two to 4,000 eggs on, uh, you know, a really high season every day for the rest of her life. Her lifespan will be about two to five years. And that happens at one time. And drones basically are just in the hive just to keep things happy. They help keep the hive cool. You know, they do this little waggle dance. They can keep their their hive at a certain temperature. So they do all those things, but the worker bees tend to do all of the stuff inside the hive. The only other time that the drone bees really come into play is if for any reason your queen, um, you know, they were worried that the hive was in danger or they, you know, were a bit concerned about the queen. The queen bee, you can, you can distinguish her because she's much longer than normal bees and her wings are much shorter. And, and that's because she, her job is just to lay the eggs. Like she is the boss. Mm. If they had to actually swarm to go somewhere safer, and you see this in swarm season or if they're running out of food or they're, they're, they're producing, you know, they're getting too successful for their own hive, 
the drones will exercise the queen bee until she loses two thirds of her body weight. And then that she actually reaches a point where she can fly. The ratio of her wings to her weight actually get into to a, a level where she's able to actually fly. And then they, they find a new place for her, which is why you see swarms end up on bicycle handles or on car doors in the middle of a city. That's them going, okay, let's go here. She'll decide if she thinks it's right, if it's obviously too busy or it doesn't suit, then they'll go and they'll keep going until they find a place to set up a new hive. And as soon as they get her in a hive where she's happy, they fatten her back up again. So just, she goes back to laying eggs. Wow. That's <laughs> it's unreal. Never, it's incredible. They're so intelligent. Oh, they're amazing. They do things like um, if, if the queen starts to get a little bit, um, you know, she's not laying as prolifically as she, she could, they actually can, you know, relate that to each other. So what they do then is they, they produce, the queen obviously lays that, the eggs to get the larva, which then hatch to be the drones or the worker bees. But if they know the queen's getting a bit weak, they feed the larva, the worker bees feed the larva up with royal jelly. And what actually happens is they'll hatch about six baby queens and those queens will fight to the death. So it's a bit like Game of Thrones until yeah. you have this fabulous queen who is strong and powerful and they know she's the right one to lead the hive going forward. Once they've found that queen, they go and they kill the other queen and they put the new queen in. Yeah, they, they, they actually have an ability to work out, you know, what they need in their own hive to keep it to keep it humming along. And everyone, every bee does their own job. So often when we're harvesting honey, you can be standing right there at the hive. You, you know, some people can wear their protective gear, but you actually reach a point once you, you've done a lot, you realise you probably don't actually need the stuff because the bees aren't interested in you. They, mm. they are so busy keeping up to date with what they need to do to produce honey. It's just amazing. They, they just go on with their own thing. Yeah, so they see you as uh, I guess they they look at you as this their loving mother rather than a threat as well. I don't right? even think they realise that you're there because I mean wow. I mean they, they do all sorts of amazing things, Sam. So I often will go up with a cuppa in the morning and just watch the hive because the first thing so bees don't fly at night; they only crawl at night, mm. um, and so and they stay within their hive. And in the morning, you've, the, the first lot of worker bees that they send out are almost like the GPS trackers. So they fly up and they circle above the hive. And what they're doing is they're GPS tracking all the trees and all the land and all the hills around them so that they know exactly where to come back to for their hive. So if I move their hive more than a metre during the day, they wouldn't be able to find it. But if you, know, if you have two hives next to each other, they never make the mistake of going in the wrong hive because they've actually GPS tracked everything and they know exactly where to come back to. It's wow. why if you if you had to move a hive, you'd move them in the pitch black of night when they're all in the hive. You'd tape it up and you'd move it in you know darkness, and they'd wake up in the morning. They'd be a little bit confused once you opened everything up again. But that would start that process would start again. They'd be confused, but they'd send out the GPS trackers, and that would be their new home. But if you moved it during the day, they would not be able to find their hive if you if you did it more than a meter away. Wow, that's so fascinating. So I've got you on this podcast, obviously, to talk about your love of bees, but also because <laughs> bees are in trouble around the world. And it's a problem yeah. that I, I think you're very passionate about seeing solved. Can you explain why bees are in trouble around the world? What's going on there? Well, there's so many factors. I mean, definitely climate. Um, we, we see certainly across Australia, um, you know, bushfires cause all sorts of devastation. But even before that, when there were such huge periods of higher temperatures, um, you know, we know that bees can cope with quite high temperatures, but when it's sustained at that level, it reaches a point where it causes distress within the hives. Mm. There's also chemicals where people are spraying their food. Um, I think the one thing that you that you really learn when you have bees yourself is you 
you just reach a point where you don't have any chemicals in your house. You you actually don't swap bees because you have so much respect for them, uh, but you're constantly aware of um, of what they need and their food sources. I mean, you drive along with your head out a window wherever you are looking at what's in flower and what season it's in flower and if it's something that you have that you know is not in abundance you know in in a not say in winter which is definitely the the harder season for uh for them to be able to get as much um you know uh, pollen as they need if you see something flowering you tend to stop and ask people about it and, and try and identify what it is and whether or not you can actually plant that at your place so yeah, the lack of food source is another thing that, that is of concern. Um, and then you see some crazy things. Like I remember reading in the Northern Territory there were two bee companies that were fighting with each other that were purposely going around at one stage and poisoning each other's hives. I mean, sometimes you, you just you kind of shake your head at the stupidity of it all. But it's not just a problem in Australia. It's all over the world. It's, it's a challenge um, that the whole world is facing because, to be perfectly honest, we don't have food uh, as we know it, fresh produce, without bees. And yeah. I, think, I think there's more awareness of that now and I think that's a great thing. And I think even, um, you know, the, the you know, inventions like the Flow Hive, which was a father and son who um, had a fascination for beekeeping for several generations but didn't like how in the traditional methods so many bees got killed so they created a way to harvest honey where you didn't actually kill any bees. And, you know, that has made it so accessible and so easy for people that um, there has been this huge burst in numbers in in home beekeepers. I mean, when I did my course um, year before, two years ago, there were uh, 20 people in the room um, and, you know, the, the, the beekeepers who were running the course were saying to us, you know, this is one of the, the really great things about something where it's been made easier for people and more accessible for people because um, you, you definitely, the more people that are doing it, the better. And you can do it in, um, in you know, inner city blocks, I mean, um, government house, so parliament house, they all have uh, hives on them. You've got them in, in lots of um, business buildings that you wouldn't, you'd not expect on their roofs and things like that. You just have to check with your local council and if your neighbours are a bit nervous about bees you can do things like you can put up a bit of shade cloth so that they work out their um path when they're leaving their hive is at a more direct angle to the sky so that they go up and over your neighbor's house so there's lots lots of ways that you can get around people's concerns and, I, and look some people have an anaphylactic reaction to a bee sting so you have to respect that and understand that so going back to your first question what else should you have protective equipment you need a hive tool um, and I would you know, definitely recommend um, that if you are going to be sharing your love of beekeeping with people that you that you actually do keep an EpiPen for kids and for mm, adults um, mm. in your fridge so that you've always got that in, in that worst case scenario if someone did get stung and had a reaction. I was reading an article um, just this morning actually uh, written by an ABC journalist named Stephen Smile. It's from a few years back but within it there's a mention of an online claim that if bees were to disappear from the face of the earth humans would have only four years left to live. Would, would yeah, that's you, pretty terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Scary. But would you say that's true? Well, I mean, you think about it. If, if we're already, you know, bees in Australia are pollinating 35% of our food source, uh, if you had not had that and you look at all of the restrictions that you have at the moment with the virus, with, um, you know, stock food coming in and production and transport getting around the country in different ways, I mean, it's happening but it's just everyone's having to do it a little bit slower. Yeah. Well, of course, naturally you'd imagine that that would be the impact. I mean, it's weird. So people dismiss insects so easily and so readily um, until they work out that, you know, everything has its place uh, in our ecosystem. Bees have a particularly 
important role. I mean, they can fly, there's some recordings of up to 20K, but generally you'd say about five to eight kilometres around from their hive to collect pollen. And they can do the math to know between um, uh, the pollen that they have, the nectar in their body and their actual body weight. They can work out to the metre of when they have to turn back to get to their hive. Like they are unbelievably intelligent creatures but if if they weren't doing that if they weren't pollinating if they weren't dropping pollen which is where you get your cross-pollination if they weren't going from you know pumpkin flower to zucchini flower to um you know a herb that you let go to flowers you wouldn't have that cross-pollination and and we know that there are so many different types of food that just don't grow unless they cross-pollinate so unless you had somebody genetically engineering it themselves which is obviously happens um it's just such such a nicer thought to think that it already was happening before all that came in it still can happen uh people just have to actually know what to look out for and know how to look after bees to 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 make it um something that's viable going into the future now uh my backyard isn't big enough to have a beehive in it like a proper you know for me to become an amateur beekeeper, basically. But I, I understand that perhaps there's plants or flowers that uh, I can put in my backyard that would attract bees. Do you have any that you know that are really great for bees? Oh, pretty much anything that flowers. But that okay. it, it is interesting you say that. You could have a beehive on a balcony and lots of people do. Really? Uh, and that's, that's that thing where I say, like, until you actually start to understand how a hive works and how the bees are just so into what they're doing, they really, they're not interested in coming into your home unless there was something that smelled absolutely fabulous inside there. Um, they're not really interested in, um, you know, looking for someone to sting. They basically are so busy doing their own thing. So lots of people actually do have hives on balconies. You'd be pleasantly mm. surprised with that. Or they might have an option to, to go with a native beehive where the bees are actually stingless. You don't get, you know, the, the massive amounts of honey that you get. Um, with you know, your European bees and your honey bees, but you do still get you know very strong. I'm not a massive fan of the flavour of it, but you do you can produce say two inches of honey over the course of a year. But you still get that joy of watching how the bees work and how they all have their place. So you actually don't need a huge amount of space for a beehive. Um, and so I think that's one of the misconceptions out there. Yeah. But uh, anyone who gets a joy out of gardening and gets a joy out of seeing plants flowering, um, you know, having lavender, having you can put anything that flowers in your garden, even flowering gums or wattles. I mean, natives are fantastic and and fairly long-lasting and you can find, you know, I think that's the thing, you can actually find something to flower in every season if you start to do enough research. But I think the one thing that, that you know, I, as a kid I was taught swat a bee. I don't swat a bee. If I see a bee in a garden, even if it comes right near me, I know it's just, it's working out, it's going off a scent. Um, they have this amazing ability to smell. They can see every colour apart from the colour red and that's how they, they spot pollen. But they are just basically sniffing and moving on to get to a flower. You are so into bees, Joe. Yeah. I'm obsessed. That's, I, I even have a bee necklace, uh, bee earrings. All my, like people are now crazy. I think they've worked out I'm a crazy bee lady so they're buying me things that have bee, bee things all over it. But, um, yeah, it is, it is something that, I think once you're able to share it with people and you mm. see the joy that they get out of it and as they learn about it and they learn about what amazingly intelligent little critters they are, uh, I, I do think it changes the way that you look at the insect world. I mean, I, I'm a massive nature lover. I, I love gardening. I love animals. 
but you just have a, a greater level of respect for them. And mm. I think um, I think that's that's a great thing. The more that people have of that, the more that they actually take an interest in where their food comes from, the more that they take an interest in in understanding the benefits of fresh produce compared to something that, that mightn't be so fresh and how much longer it lasts and, and also just that incredible satisfaction that you get out of um, of producing your own food. Uh, it has innumerable benefits. I mean, I, um, I'm obviously on the board of Beyond Blue and I know for me beekeeping and gardening are, are two things that I can do to find great balance in, in my mental health and I, my sense of well-being and my sense of personal satisfaction. I mean, they're not benefits that you go looking for when you, you go and do a beekeeping course. They're just this huge bonus that comes out of it. That's so good. I imagine you often in contact with your producers and researchers at Better Home saying, we need to do more bee stories, more bee stories. <laughs> Look, I, I mean, they indulge me enormously in my obsession with bees. They, they all, mind you, they all benefit from the honey of it as well, which is one of the great <laughs> things that you can share or the honey. But it's, uh, I, I don't think that you're the first person to discover that I'm obsessed with bees, but I, I do know the amount of times now when you go anywhere and you can find someone to talk about bees with you realize I'm definitely not alone in that obsession. Yeah. But uh, it, it's actually really lovely that other people are, are as interested. That's excellent. It's a, it's a bit of an aside, but I wanted to cover on it because I know that there was a, a couple of years ago, there was a fake honey scandal where kind of this mm. adulterated honey came out and it said that one in five samples of local honey was actually found to be fake or diluted or compromised in some way. Mm. Um, how do I know what is the best honey to buy? And I know that you're not obvi- obviously you're not buying it yourself because you've got it at home, but is there a way that we can navigate that? Oh, look, I, I think, I mean, it's easy to say if you have access to it, but the one of the great ways of doing it is local markets. And you'd be surprised how many people actually have honey that they're prepared to share once they have hives. Um, I would say, I'd say look for, look for, you know, straight from the hive honey and look for organic honey. It does taste different. And as I say, you can taste, um, the difference of the season. I keep five little jars, um, that were given to me by the flow hive people and then six jars from our honey, just so you can see the difference in the color that you get in the honey from the pollination. And, you know, some of it almost starts at a, a rich treacle and then you go down and you can taste you know, sometimes it's quite florally. And so I mean, it's almost like someone doing a wine tasting test where you can, you know, they sit there and they say, what can you taste? And, and you actually can taste lavender. You can taste different flowers in it. Um, but you don't have, uh, what I'd say, if, if you and the difference when you have had a honey that is compromised, it leaves a weird sort of taste in your mouth afterwards. Mm. Fresh honey from the hive doesn't. It is amazing how many people we give a jar of honey to who just come back and go, wow, now I know what honey is meant to taste like. Yeah. And I think I think that's one of my favourite things with having hives. We split one of our hives last year, so we have two hives now. And at the end of this year, if the hives are really productive again, we'll split them, we'll have four hives. So when you share it with people and they come up and they, you know, they can be kids as young as, you know, 18 months putting their little protective equipment on and holding a jar underneath it and, you know, it pours out of those flow hives so readily. Um, it's quite amazing. You can clear a frame in like, you know, 11 minutes on a really hot day and you might get 22 jars of honey out of that. But to see someone for the first time holding holding a jar underneath the tube, watching the honey coming out, you know, putting their fingers into it because it's got antiseptic quality, so it's okay as long as they're drinking it to their jar, just to see that look of awe and amazement on their face, it's just priceless. Like you can't, 
you can't explain how much uh, how much joy that just gives you knowing that you can actually share those moments. Oh, I'm so keen for honey right now. <laughs> it's so good. Um, as as we finish, uh, Joe Griggs, what shall we do about bees? Look, I would definitely say um, refrain from spotting them or spraying them if you if you see them close by. As I say, that yeah, there is that term busy bees for a reason. They're pretty much on their um, on their self mission. And if you are in the horrible instance where you know, in the, randomly for some reason you do get a bee sting, as long as you don't have an anaphylactic reaction, honestly, just just look at the sting and and tap it out on the direction that it's that it's uh, gone in. Just take it out so it doesn't release as much poison. It might itch for a day or two, but that'll be it. Mm. Um, they're not, you know, if, if there's any um, perceptions out there that they're, you know, these mean-spirited insects, they're not. They're so gentle. They're absolutely gorgeous. You can, you can sit and hold a drone on your hand. They, they don't sting you. They just literally are like big teddy bears that fly in the sky in a miniature size. Um, I would say if you're interested, go along to a, a beekeeping uh, club. They have open days all the time. They're, they're people like me who are just passionate about it, who want to share their love of beekeeping and, and getting you to understand. And, and I mean, we haven't even got like beeswax. You can make your you know, beeswax wraps. There's just so many different things that you can do with the produce that the bees provide. But uh, if, if you have a fascination at all, don't hesitate in actually doing it. I wish I'd done it years ago. And mm. and I, as I say, it's hard to put a, uh, a measure on the amount and the, the variation of the joy that having bees gives you. It is uh, meditative. It is um, productive. It is you feel very satisfied even though you're not actually doing any of the work. Um, and you realise that, that we play such a small part in the scheme of the world. So uh, our general appreciation of bees, if, if we can help that, that's great. Joanna Griggs, I really appreciate your time and uh, talking about bees with me on the podcast. And I'm going to go out the backyard and just stare at bees for a bit, I think. I appreciate them. <laughs> well, you can, you can learn a lot from watching them. You'll actually watch them put out the little collector and it's just like they're fascinating. Get get a little macro thing on your iPhone where you can actually um, see it in, in quite close detail and honestly it'll, it'll change the world. But thank you for indulging me in talking about bees for so long. Well, my husband will be relieved that I've stopped chewing his ears for a minute. <laughs> My thanks to Joanna Griggs, our resident crazy bee lady, who you can follow on Twitter and Instagram at JoeGriggs7. That's J-O-H-G-R-I-G-G-S-7. She also hosts Better Homes and Gardens Friday evenings from 7pm on The 7 Network. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. As always, I do appreciate it and would love it if you could rate and review it wherever you heard this. And uh, I do hope you're doing okay considering the world's state at the moment. And I'd love to hear from you if you, you know, want to give some feedback on the show at whatshallwedopod at gmail.com. And you can find this show on Instagram and Facebook at whatshallwedopod. What Shall We Do About is hosted and produced by me, Sam Robinson, with production support from Ali Barnes and original music from Chad Gardner. Stay safe and I'll catch you next time.